Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you for um, joining in with the SACPA live stream this morning. Today we have with us Dr. Sylvain Jolabois, and um, on the topic of food production is an essential service, and our government's providing farmers with adequate aid during COVID-19. During this time of social and physical distancing, SACPA believes it's important to keep engaging with the public on issues of the day. And in order to do so, we are very thankful for the continuing support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. Um, just to introduce our speaker a little bit, uh, Dr. Jean Lebois conducts research in a broad area of food production, security, and safety. He has written four books and many peer-reviewed and scientific articles, over 500 during his career. His research has also been featured in the newspapers that include The Economist, The New York Times, The Boston Globe, The Wall Street Journal, Foreign Affairs, the Global Mail, National Post, and the Toronto Star. And Dr. Jean Bois is joining us today from Halifax. Thank you very much for joining us, and we look forward to your talk. Thank you very much, Annalise. Uh, thank you for the invitation. Uh, actually, I was just uh, telling Annalise uh, before we went live that I actually uh, I was in Lethbridge twice in the last six months. So I really. Uh, enjoy the community there. Uh, it's unfortunate that we can't meet face to face uh, because of uh, of what's happening. But still, I've always enjoyed uh, going to Ludbridge. I actually have some very good friends at the University of Ludbridge there. Uh, and uh, in fact, actually, I was uh, I was uh, contemplating going there as a young academic 25 years ago, uh, just because I thought it was a good place to raise kids. But now here I am in Halifax, director of a of a lab, a research lab. I've been here for about five years. Uh, if you haven't been to Halifax, you should come. But uh, starting in June, uh, before June, it's uh, really very wet, damp, and cold. Uh, right now we're lucky it's 14 and sunny, but uh, typically in Halifax we don't get much of a spring. So uh, I would wait until June, up until October, great wines here, uh, you can enjoy yourself. So here's an invitation for you. Uh, but today actually I was asked to talk about um, the food industry in general and uh, what's been happening with COVID, uh, what's at stake? Uh, how do you define the food service industry or the food industry as a, an essential service? What's been happening with the government or governments? Uh, has the industry been well supported by different measures we've actually heard from, from governments so far during this crisis? Uh, it's been quite confusing. If you haven't uh, kept track, we are in week number nine of this crisis, if you actually uh, select March 13th as the date when it all started, and I think it would be pretty much that date in Canada, uh, we're into week nine, and since then there's been, there, we've seen several announcements, several measures have been taken, uh, industries have been destroyed as a result of, of, of confinement measures and uh, and things like that. And of course, I, 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 I'm thinking about the food service industry in particular, uh, which has been slaughtered clearly by, by C-19 and, and measures we had to take in order to keep uh, everyone safe. 
Uh, and so we'll talk about all of these issues, of course, and not just about agriculture, but the entire agri-food sector. Um, so let's start with uh, with the life of a consumer, how uh, things unfolded for consumers. And I think uh, a good place to start is the grocery store. And because uh, what we're seeing in a grocery store really has a huge impact on the entire supply chain. So before COVID, we saw people going into a grocery store. Um, mo most people thought thought of it as a pleasant experience or an experience. Only 18% of Canadians actually tried to avoid the grocery store um, before COVID. Now, uh, based on the numbers we have, it's over 50%, 52% of Canadians do not want to be in a grocery store. Uh, some have to go. Yeah, I mean, you need to eat. Some people still go. But the majority are just avoiding a place altogether. Uh, and frankly, it's not overly pleasant anymore. It's really a duty. Uh, you have to stand in line. You greet, you're greeted by a security guard. When you go in, you're disciplined to death. You have to follow arrows. You have to basically go uh, through aisles uh, and, and follow directions. You end up paying through a plexiglass. The experience altogether is, is quite unpleasant now, to be honest. And, uh, and not only that, I mean, a lot of people are concerned about their health going to a grocery store. In fact, we've started to see now grocery stores, grocery chains asking patrons to wear a mask. Uh, TNT uh, in Toronto is uh, is measuring uh, the temperature of uh, customers as they walk into the store. Um, and Longo is actually in Toronto is, is is actually asking everyone to wear a mask. So you can see really. It's not just about providing food and experience to people, but it's also about keeping them safe or at least uh, sell the perception that the, the environment is as safe as possible. So there's, there's that reality. And of course, uh, prices, the economics of food retailing have changed. Uh, to operate a grocery store now is probably five to 7% more expensive than just a few months ago. Salaries have gone up. Um, of course, all the cleaning measures do cost more money. You need more people to operate a store. Uh, all of these measures are costing more. And, and that's why if, you, if you've noticed, or maybe you haven't, but if, if you've noticed, you may have noticed that there are fewer promotions now. Uh, we actually, based on some of our evaluations, we think that prices, the food inflation rate right now can, in Canada is, is roughly at 4%. It may not seem uh, much, but it is a lot when you compare that 4% to the general inflation rate, which is really low right now. The economy is struggling, uh, particularly, obviously, in Alberta, uh, where um, I mean, the economy was hit in several different from several different directions, uh, oil, COVID. And so there are a lot of things that, that, uh, that, uh, that the economy has to, had to deal with all at the same time. A lot of people are, are blaming COVID for everything. We have to be careful. Uh, I mean, prices were going up before COVID, especially at the meat counter. So we shouldn't uh, really blame everything on COVID. But COVID really has um, invited us to think differently about food altogether. So 
all the measures you see in the grocery store is affecting the entire supply chain. So if you talk to a processor, uh, regardless of the product, if you talk to farmers even, uh, they'll all tell you the same story. Producing food is costing more, regardless of what you do. And, and this is going to catch up to us for not only a few months, but for several years, I think, down the road. We are expecting the food inflation rate to, to change, uh, to, to remain high for, for a few years, in fact. And the reason why I'm telling you this is not to scare you or anything like that, but, but I do think that um, food prices are going to uh, force us to revisit the social contract we have with food, the food industry. So we, we went into a grocery store or to a restaurant. We bought what we needed. We had access to really cheap food. Canadians actually have access to the, to the fifth cheapest food basket in the world relative to income, which is, uh, so we've been quite lucky and we've, we have safety, we have safe food, we have lots of variety. Well, all of that is about to change, I think, because, because of COVID. So prices are going up, not to the extent of what we would see in Europe where the average household will spend probably about 14% of its budget on food. Here it's at nine. I don't think it's going to get to 14, but it could get to 10, 11 over the next few years. And that's going to change how we value food. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing, of course, is, uh, is, is the fact that food service is, is not existent. And the big question everyone has is, well, when we go back to normalcy, whatever that normalcy looks like, um, how how much are we going to be spending uh, in, in restaurants or on food consumed outside the household? And, and that's a huge question mark. We don't know. And it, I think it will depend. It will vary from one region to another around the Western world. Even in Canada, I think that the recovery will have uh, a different pace uh, from, uh, from the East Coast to the West Coast. Here in, in Halifax, Things are very slow, and uh, we don't expect uh, businesses to come back uh, by mid-June at the very least, whereas in Saskatchewan, as of today, I mean, there are opening stores, uh, restaurants. Restaurants are opening up in B.C., so you can see that really uh, the agri-food economy will be affected very differently from one, uh, from one uh, region to another. So that's going to force us to really think differently about food. Will we be cooking more? Uh, we are cooking a lot more right now. But will, will that trend last? Well, COVID is into its ninth week, and we are likely to see many people stay at home for quite some time. For this summer, a lot of people are talking about staycations, uh, people staying around home to garden, to vertically integrate, to produce your own food at home. There's, there's. I'm sure over the weekend there was lots of people uh, in Alberta doing that, uh, gardening, uh, cooking. So a lot of these things are really getting people to think differently about food and, 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 and everything. As you walked into a grocery store, instead of looking for quick fixes over two days, you were really, you're now looking for ingredients over two weeks. That's, a, that's really, that changes the dynamic. So across the supply chain, lots of pressure there. 
in terms of uh, of uh, of problems issues we've seen plants uh, we've seen processing plants distribution centers being affected by closures uh, we saw uh, employees uh, contracting c19 uh, obviously, the most famous case right now in in, Can in North America is actually the High River plant, owned by Cargill, uh, which became the largest outbreak in in on the continent. Uh, a sad story, uh, but Cargill also owns a plant in Chambly, uh, and in Chambly, it's about a fifth of the size of High River. But still, it took five days for the company to contain risks and and it, and the plan is now uh, is now reopened it's not fully operational but it's it's getting there so you can see that really from one case to another there's been there's been severe variations in terms of how to deal with covid because frankly covid is new i mean even though we're seeing governments arguing that they're using science uh, to make decisions there's actually little science <laughs> that we know of related to COVID. So the mask, the gloves, uh, the confinement measures, what's right, what's wrong. And that's why we've seen some confusion out there. And the food industry is not immune to that confusion at all. Uh, managers, companies have to make decisions based on what they know. Uh, and we still don't know a lot. We're still trying to figure out how to get a vaccine to make our society immune to this uh, awful virus. Uh, but again, it is quite new. So a pandemic is a pandemic. It's new for most people on earth, uh, except for those who've gone through the Spanish flu, which is not my case, obviously. But it is it is new. It is, it is generating a lot of really interesting cases for social scientists like me lots to learn about human nature about business about policy as well let's actually talk a little about about so th that's the business part of of covid in the food industry that i've seen so far um i shouldn't forget e-commerce actually uh people are afraid to go to the grocery store and and for the longest time, the food industry or grocers never really wanted to uh, develop an e-commerce strategy just because they wanted foot traffic. They wanted, they wanted us to feel at home in their stores. And they basically were convinced that the only way for us to, to buy on impulse, to buy everything, to buy too much food really, is to go in a store physically. Up until 2017 when Amazon acquired Whole Foods, that all changed. Grocers all of a sudden were forced to think about e-commerce. But COVID happened this year, which really was too soon. It was too soon, they weren't ready. Just last week, Sobeys announced that its partnership with uh, with Ocado went live. Ocado is a UK company uh, known for its uh, is know-how in e-commerce. Uh, so it has partnered with Sobeys to actually implement their e-commerce its e-commerce strategy across the country. 
let's see how it works. But we're we're way behind in Canada compared to the U.S. or Europe. We're way behind. So before COVID, um, less than two percent of all food sales were conducted online. And let's be honest here: most people thought that buying food online was a far-fetched idea. I mean, why would you when you can just go up to the store? But now COVID came and public health became an issue. In America, they're about they're at about 7%. In, in Europe, old Europe, some countries are at 10%, not 2%. So you can see that really Canada is kind of catching up to the rest of the world. And it's and it is catching up very rapidly because of COVID. Uh, in the last two months, we've seen 64 percent, 64% of Canadians have actually bought a food product online for the very first time. That is a lot of people. And beyond COVID based on a survey we just recently conducted, 22% of Canadians intend to buy food online on a regular basis. Now, that stat really matters. Why it matters? Here's the reason. If e-commerce, if e-commerce becomes an option for a lot of people out there, everything is possible. And it's happening already. So. If you think you have access to the consumer, why do you need Loblaw? Why do you need Sobates? Why do you need Metro or Walmart or Costco? As a farmer, as a restaurant, as a processor, you can sell directly to consumers. And that's exactly what's been happening over the last few weeks. We've seen this entire food supply chain become more uh, democratic. PepsiCo is selling to consumers directly. You can order right now your own Pepsi from Pepsi. And never before it was possible. Cisco Canada actually sells products. Cisco Canada is a $10 billion business, sells products to restaurants only. You can actually buy 26 ounce steaks for about $150 right now online uh, there's a in uh, in Calgary I think the closest outlet for you guys is Calgary so you can see that really things are opening up and because of that because of COVID really all of a sudden everyone can think about a different business model but in the meantime there are victims there are a lot of companies uh, losing. There are a lot of um, farmers, the food service sector, they're suffering big time. And that's why the Kane government has come forward with major, major uh, programs to help the industry. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau presented a plan uh, worth $252 million to help agriculture or the agri-food industry. Um, I don't know if you know anything about what was presented a couple of weeks ago, but I gave it a B plus. Uh, obviously, the amount was underwhelming, and but I don't want to talk about the, the amount itself. I want to talk about 
how it was structured. So the government looked at processing. Um, $77 million for processing to help companies cope with backlogs, with issues around um, contamination, employee safety, uh, these types of issues. And I thought it was actually a good recognition that food processing is I, what I think the center point to our agri-food strategy. Uh, probably for the very first time in, during a crisis that I've seen a Canadian government recognizing that processing needs help. Without processing, you don't really have much of a value chain. You don't have much of a food industry. And, and that's why right now, because our food processing sector is somewhat anemic, farmers are paying for that. And so for hogs, beef, for high root, the high root plant is a perfect example of, of, of that problem. You have Cargill struggling to manage risks outside the plant was really caught by surprise. And they weren't the only one. In fairness to Cargill, I mean, the other plants had to close and had to clean things up. Uh, the, the issue with Cargill, I think, was beyond just risks outside the plant. But really, processing has been, was hurting, even before COVID. Food processing lost 12 jobs a day, every day, since 2012 in Canada. That's 35,000 jobs. And nobody said anything. So we, we went into the crisis with a sector in crisis, really. And so I wasn't surprised to see all the problems that we've seen um, compared to, say, Europe, where you've heard of a few cases here and there, uh, but nothing like North America. North America, meatpacking is in trouble. And I'd say to a certain extent it's still in trouble, where I think beyond... Uh, beyond the, the most significant uh, phase of the crisis, but there are still a lot of plants out there that are vulnerable to, uh, to see COVID. So that's one thing. The other thing that I thought was interesting, of course, uh, is the $125 million to uh, livestock. So that's, that was help needed to help hog producers and beef producers. And so that's going to be taken care of. And... Uh, the $50 million uh, surplus program, so to basically you would see the government buy extra surpluses. It was an, it was an interesting idea, but how to implement that is, is difficult. And uh, so I gave, I gave it some points for creativity, but uh, implementing that is going to be very difficult. I think what was mentioned during the announcement is that we could redirect some of the commodities to support food banks, but most farmer groups are actually quite generous already. They do give a lot to food banks. So I think there needs to be some, some thinking there. There was another uh, initiative, a credit, a substantive credit given to the Cane Dairy Commission, which is a crown corporation that you and I own in Ottawa. Uh, its mandate is to manage surpluses and uh, and prices, a fair price for dairy farmers. The Trudeau government decided to use uh, the CDC as a mechanism to manage surpluses, which I think is is was the, the right thing to do. Tomorrow, actually, our lab we're releasing a 
uh, a study or a report on on surpluses what Canadians think. We've actually surveyed over 1,500 uh, Canadians asking them about surpluses. Uh, the the whole issue of food waste, uh, again, uh, I I think has always been mismanaged. Uh, I, I think uh, we need to set priorities. Uh, whether it's COVID or not, uh, we've seen surpluses way before COVID. Uh, it's it, it's a big elephant in the room, and we need to address this issue as much as possible. So tomorrow we'll actually provide um, Canadians with results of our survey, and of course. Uh, uh, possible solutions as well for uh, for the industry and the government to consider uh, down the road. So, what we've seen so far is a federal government using institutions, public institutions, uh, to implement some new programs to help. So, in farming, we saw obviously the CDC for surpluses. A few weeks before, we actually saw the government using the Farm Credit Canada. Uh, it gave, provided $5 billion in extra funding uh, to support farmers uh, who would need extra credit, uh, extra loans. Uh, that's certainly helpful, but not all farmers actually do deal with FCC. But it is it is a measure that I thought was a bit forgotten uh, because it happened so, so long ago, a week right now seems like a lifetime and that's probably why people kind of forgot about that but there's been several measures announced. Uh, CERB of course uh, helps pretty much everyone. Over, over 8 million Canadians have actually applied to CERB but CERB at this point in time has become a bit of a problem. Uh, any employers out there uh, would probably understand. I actually am an academic but I'm also a business person um, we, uh, my wife and I, we call own a hotel and a restaurant, and right now we're struggling to see when we can reopen the hotel and the restaurant because service just keeping people home, and uh, and frankly, even though some employees earn more than two thousand dollars a month, still uh, the problem is how do you actually get people to go back to work in a safe manner? Uh, as soon as possible, so, and that's going to be easy. There are some sectors um, like tourism, uh, hospitality, very easy to shut down, takes a day, very difficult to actually get back uh, in the process of, of conducting business. It's, it takes weeks, and that's why to ramp up these businesses, you need time. And so I'm not sure the government actually has thought about the entire process to of recovery of economic recovery at all, to be honest, and and that is a big great concern. I'm actually I'm sitting on uh, right now for the last eight nine weeks. I've been uh, working with the CDL Institute, uh, and I joined the task force uh, for COVID for business continuity, and uh, that's our biggest concern right now: recovery. I mean, how do you make sure that uh, that that the economy gets back on its feet as quickly as possible. And right now we see contradictions between that and of course keeping people safe and, and at home. We need to people to start thinking about uh, going back to work at, at some point. Again, in a safe manner as much as possible. And some provinces are, I would say most provinces are, are really being extra careful with the uh, 
with this, with the exception perhaps of Quebec, uh, which seems to be way more audacious, I guess, and and probably through the eyes of many provinces a bit riskier, uh, sending kids back to school and everything like that. So, uh, but again, it's COVID. I have to feel for our public servants. I mean, they have to make decisions based on little science, and so it's very, it's been very difficult. Uh, and finally, I'm just looking at the time because I do want to have a chance to talk to you guys and you can uh, send in questions if you like. Uh, and Lisa is going to be reading them after I'm done and uh, will be telling me uh, the questions that you have. Um, the one other comment I wanted to make uh, for, for this morning uh, with, uh, with this group is, is how we consider the food industry moving forward. Um, I think there's been a lot of discussion about considering the food industry as, a, as an essential service. Uh, it's hard to disagree with that, but what is the food industry? What's included? What's excluded? Are Is McDonald's part of the food industry? Uh, are farmers markets part of the food industry? Food trucks? Uh, pharmacies? Convenience stores? Uh, I mean, the obvious are obviously the farm-to-plate sort of thing, and from uh, from farmers to to um, to uh, grocers. But what about everything else? I mean, and and that's been the question that has come back over and over again, constantly uh, with with policies that have been implemented, and and from one province or another, there hasn't been any consensus. Uh, and of course, when it comes to standards, uh, there's been some severe variations, and, and frankly, which uh, have created some discomforts once in a while. So it's been a wild ride of the last nine weeks, uh, to, be, to be sure. But um, I must say, uh, based on little we know, we don't know much about, about COVID, I felt that the government overall or governments have done their best uh, to deal with this issue. Um, and it, it, we knew going in, I think everyone knew going in, that it wasn't going to be perfect. Uh, and, and that's exactly what we got. Uh, I think, uh, I think uh, most governments came in with some a helpful humility, uh, which I think gets, but I, but I, but we're actually reached a point now where I think that uh, perhaps it's time to 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 think differently about about the economy. The biggest challenge, of course, is the is the second wave. A lot of people are talking about the second wave. What's going to happen? Uh, and of course, the vaccine. Uh, there's been tremendous hope over the weekend with the vaccine. Uh, um, produced by a company in, in the United States. Its evaluation is, uh, is three times what it was worth just a few weeks ago. Uh, there's lots of, you can feel that the markets are, are very emotional right now and very optimistic. And, and I think it's a good thing to be optimist, uh, but we also need to be cautious as much as possible. Uh, but the food industry, I think, uh, and Frank, I'll be honest with you, um, nine weeks ago, if you would have asked me, would COVID be transformational for the food industry? I would say, yeah, maybe. We saw it with SARS and people went back to their own things and, 
people carrying on with BSC 2003. I was actually in the prairie. I was living in the prairies in those days. And I thought, well, nothing is going to change. And, and some things did change, but not a whole lot. But this is different. Uh, I think it's different for a couple of reasons. One, everyone is affected by COVID. The entire planet is affected by COVID. Uh, our way of life has been affected by COVID uh, in, in a very significant way. Uh, on March 13th, when it all started, I was on a plane flying back to Halifax. And I knew I wasn't going to see it inside of a plane this year again. And nine weeks later, I think I was right. And I fly, I used to fly every two, three days. So, and a lot of people who are listening to us are in the same boat, I'm sure. So, yeah, I, I think it's, I think changes are, are going to stay. Uh, and I think at some point we're going to get back to the strong economy we had. We're going to get back to our own little ways, but it's going to take time. But. One thing for sure, the social contract I was talking about between food and us, or the industry and us, uh, is is going to be redefined. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, so I guess, uh, Annalise, uh, do you have any questions for me? I have lots. Um, <laughs> obviously, uh, people are really engaged in this topic. So the first question comes from Cliff Peterson. There is a tremendous potential in growing vegetables in greenhouses. What do you think of that potential? Uh, great question. Uh, you probably know that Ontario has really tried to capitalize on this uh, on this sector for quite some time. <coughs> Excuse me. Seventy, I believe, seventy percent of fruits and vegetables produced in Ontario. Uh, are in greenhouses now. It's incredible. Cannabis slowed things slowed things down a little bit, but uh, I think it's going to get back to uh, to um, to this 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 uh, enthusiasm around greenhouses is 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 I think important. Quebec is is thinking about it. What what crises tend to do? It, it tends to get people to think about local. It tends to get people to think about what they know, uh, something that they're familiar with. And, and local foods always come back. Uh, it came back during SARS, it came back during BSC, um, it, and now we're going through the same process. Uh, and there's a lot of discussions around the country right now with, with greenhouses. With greenhouses, in order to be successful, you need, I would say, four things. One. You need cheap land. Uh, two, uh, cheap clean land. Okay. Two, you need uh, cheap and clean energy, and that's a very important one. Three, you need management know-how. You need to, to. You need people to know how to manage resources and greenhouses, which is not easy. We've seen failures in the past uh, around uh, around greenhouses just because of that. And and fourth, of course, is capital. I mean, it's a very capital-intensive industry, and so if you don't have the capital, then uh, it's very difficult. I, I would say, if anyone from FCC is listening, 
please uh, consider some projects on greenhouses. I, I think FCC is the perfect, perfect uh, agent, economic agent to to foster uh, that way of thinking in the economy. So uh, given the fact that we have a Nordic climate, we our winters are horrible, uh, you, you need to think about controlling Mother Nature if that can be done. Uh, and greenhouses are one certainly good way to do it. Excellent. Thank you. Our next question comes from David Major. Years ago, agriculture enjoyed strong support from the public, that they are good caretakers of the soil and the environment. How are farmers and agriculturalists doing today in this respect? Uh, well, I, <laughs> farmers are the best environmental stewards they are. I mean, it's uh, that's they, they make money by being good environmental stewards. So uh that's that's a given i mean I, I i was i was raised on a farm myself so we took care of our animals we took care of our land because we made money off it so if you don't care about about your land or your animals it's very difficult to make any money uh the public perception though is changing uh, there are and 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 this is this is the one aspect i didn't talk about during my initial uh uh, remarks the ethics of food production are being questioned um, you we've heard of milk dumping we've heard of of, uh, of food waste at farm gate we've heard of of uh, of euthanized animals pigs and and, and chickens and, and eggs I can tell you right now the way I see it, and I'm an omnivore, I, I really enjoy eating meat, uh, but I would see, I, I can see how C-19 is, is serving strong case studies to the vegan movement on the silver platter. Um, there are very strong cases. You can see the cracks in the supply chain, and we need to address those cracks. Um, because it just makes farmers look bad. It makes the entire supply chain look bad. And, and the supply chain, farmers don't deserve that kind of attention. <laughs> They're victims. And they may not be seen as such, unfortunately. Um, and so this is the one thing that needs to change. Uh, I hope that coming out of COVID, we're going to learn about, uh, about how we become better environmental stewards like for real from farm to fork and at the beginning i talked about food prices when when you pay more for food you care more about food and i think people are going to start start to ask tougher questions in in 2020 it is it is not normal to kill 93,000 healthy pigs just because you can't get it harvested it's it's not normal we, we shouldn't accept that. And so if we don't accept that, that's a first step. And then after that, how do we work from there? Well, vertical coordination. You basically make sure that processors are as responsible for farming as farmers are for processing and vice versa, which is exactly what you see in Denmark and Holland and other places around the world where there's more vertical coordination. And there's 
there's there are too many disconnects in the supply chains in Canada. Uh, look at BSC. I mean, I, I was I studied BSC in 2003-2004. Ranchers hated processors uh, because they made all the money, and uh, and that just nurtured that that sentiment of hate, and it got people far apart. Uh, when in actuality, crisis actually should get people together to work together, and that's really missing right now in Canada. So I'm hoping that that governments will incentivize everyone with supply chain to work together through tax incentives to support R and D work. And I mean, look at milk. We we just dumped about 50 to 60 million liters of milk. That's that's enough to fill about 40 Olympic size pools, okay? We could have actually generated bioenergy with that. We could have actually made vodka with milk. We could make all sorts of things with, we could actually dehydrate milk and keep it for a year in a strategic reserve by using UHT, ultra high temperature technologies. These are all things that do exist, but you need a strategy. And if you don't have a strategy, well, at the end of the day, farmers pay for that. Thank you. Our next question comes from Trevor Page. How do you see COVID affecting Canada's international food sales, particularly grain and canola? Oh, uh, good question. Uh, so, uh, based on on what I'm seeing so far, is that uh, that things are going well with grains. Uh, I've seen futures drop a little bit, um, but I haven't been looking uh, very closely at grains uh, for canola in particular. I know that there's lots of wheat wheat on the market, uh, so that's going to change things. I've been looking over the last couple of weeks. I've been looking mostly at, at livestock, to be honest. So uh, I can't really comment in details, but I, I'm not. A lot of people think. I mean, nine weeks ago. I think I got probably 50 calls a week from media asking me if we're going to be running out of food. And I mean, in my mind, I thought, what a ridiculous question. I mean, if there is one country, uh, if there's one last country to run out of food, it would probably be Canada. But a lot of people out there thought with empty shelves and everything else, we're going to be running out of food. And the fundamentals to me, the fundamental is agriculture and what i'm seeing in agriculture is easy peasy it's steady as she goes uh, things are happening and grains are growing and so i'm not too concerned uh, at all about uh, what's what's been happening but a lot of canadians are concerned actually tomorrow when you see in our report I mean, a lot, many more Canadians feel, feel more food insecure now than ever before. And, and that, that speaks to that, that rural-urban divide. And that divide is fueling bad policy. I mean, when you look at some of the measures coming out of Ottawa, uh, you have a better chance of survival if you ran a pet shop than being a rancher. I mean, that's the reality. At the beginning, of course, the package changed all that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some may argue not, but I would say yes. Uh, but it is very much an urban government thinking, um, uh, thinking for urbanites without understanding agriculture all that much. 
Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from Knut Peterson. As a former potato grower, I've heard from my friends that they are unable to take advantage of the federal support program to help with excess potatoes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, huge question. So uh, if you talk to a current potato grower, <laughs> Uh, they will tell you the same thing. It's a it's a huge problem uh, right now in Canada um, because restaurants are closed and seventy five percent of fries are actually consumed at a restaurant in Canada. Uh, there's a glut of about three hundred million pounds of potatoes right now in Canada. That's that's a lot of potatoes. So if you want to help the agri-food industry, go out and eat a poutine as quickly as possible. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I would say when you look at the programs that you see, uh, there's, there's nothing for potato growers, mushroom growers. Uh, there's, there's now some, some, some provisions for uh, seafood and fish. But there are many several commodities that just they don't there's there's nothing there's of course uh, agri stability but agri stability you have to lose thirty percent of your revenues in order to qualify. Who can actually run a business when losing thirty percent of revenues? It's it's not it's not it's inadequate. And again, Ottawa believes that it was that is still adequate. And so there's lots of discussion. I know that there's lots of lobbying going on in Ottawa right now. But I, I think we're, we're starting to see the end of, of spending. Uh, Ottawa has spent a lot. We're, our debt is close to a uh, trillion dollars now. It's, it's unheard of. I mean, it's, uh, at some point, someone's going to have to pay for that. And I think, uh, I, I think we've actually provided enough. I think it's start, we need to think, think about finding solutions for, for industry, and industry has to take the lead. Uh, I've spoken to uh, Vice President McCain last week or two weeks ago, and and they're all looking into the glut. I mean, it's they see it as their problem. I mean, they they and, and when you talk about vertical coordination, potatoes are a great example of an industry that really is working together. I was actually at a conference in New Brunswick in uh, Windsor, not Windsor, but Woodstock, New Brunswick, a few months ago. I was very impressed with how they worked together. Everyone was in the room, McDonald's, uh, McCain's. They were all in the same room talking the same talk, which is very rare in Canada. Okay, um, Trevor just has a follow-up. He says that his question was actually about international grain and canola sales, not what's on the grocery stores itself or in the grocery store shelves. Right, okay. I honestly, I, I know, I, I don't have a whole lot of information, to be honest. Uh, good question. But um, internationally, what I'm, what I'm starting to hear are embargoes and things like that coming from China, between China and Australia, for example, this morning. That's concerning, uh, especially in a, in a context in a, in a, during a pandemic like what we're going through right now. You do not want to see countries starting to play around with trades. Uh, you want trades to flow as much as possible or else you will create victims. You will make some nations food insecure. It may not be Canada, 
there'll be someone, unfortunately. But I can't really comment on that question with specifics. Okay, thank you. Now we've got a question from Mark Goddard. There's a lot of rhetoric regarding punishing China, as well as making one's country become self-sufficient, especially in health-associated materials. Will all this rhetoric and blame game, lots based on unsubstantial information, make China move itself to self-sufficiency in food production, leaving Canada with no place to sell our agricultural products? Or will it punish Alberta due to Premier Canada's recent condemnation of China with tariffs on Alberta's agricultural products? A final blow to Alberta's economy. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say a final blow, a blow, but uh, I mean, uh, Alberta is very resilient. I'm not uh, concerned about that, but it's been tough. Uh, I think we're losing your sound. Can you hear me? Ah, there you go. Yeah. Could, uh, could you just repeat what you just said? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, there's uh, the blame game is is obviously between Beijing and Washington. Uh, what was interesting, I thought over the weekend, is that China has now committed two billion dollars to support. Uh, the WHO, which is interesting. I, I think China is out there to to uh, to regain some love internationally. And whether or not the Trump administration or Americans will be taken seriously, I, I don't know. Uh, the current leadership is is questionable at best. Um, regardless of your <laughs> of your your political position uh, it's hard to see any seriousness coming out of washington uh these days um so beyond that i i would say that china is is going to remain open for business it, it is way more food sovereign than before obviously i think everyone knows that but i uh, but i think that down the road there'll be there'll be a need for king commodities maybe not the same i mean that, that things could change down the road. But uh, I do see, when I talk about value chains, uh, this is the problem we have in Canada. We always look at selling commodities. We've been telling us the story for many, many years. Uh, I think before COVID, we were starting to turn that around a little bit with, I mean, the super cluster, uh, the protein industry cluster, super cluster in, in uh, in, in Regina, um, I think is a perfect model to get agriculture or the agri-food industry to think about value chains or value-added um, products. And then if you do that, you'll think of China very differently or other markets very differently. But we've never done that, unfortunately. And that, 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 that is a problem. We're too dependent. On, on our trading partners in that way. And that needs to change. Okay, thank you. Um, our next question is from Trevor Page. What is the effect on COVID restrictions on temporary foreign workers on Southern Alberta farmers? Ooh, uh, I don't know the specifics about Southern Alberta, but I can tell you uh, about some of the things that that has been happening so in in nova scotia we hire about a thousand 
typically every year and each farmer uh, had to implement different measures depending on what you were growing so from uh, shelters to uh, the working environment to the machinery as well uh, so for example if you were planting uh, lettuce uh, or radish or whatever you were growing you had to add plexiglass between people to make sure that they they were safe as much as possible so those are things that um, that I've seen so it has obviously increased cost and I'd be very surprised if uh, that wasn't happening in uh, in southern Alberta I, I suspect that it, it is happening very much so in southern Alberta but there work there was uh, some compensation provided by the government uh, I believe it was fifteen hundred dollars per worker uh, given to farmers uh, to offset the cost of, of lodging and uh, and making sure that the operations were in compliance with uh, new safety measures for C19. So uh, so and and so far I've heard I haven't heard of any problems. Uh, maybe they can, they haven't been reported, but I haven't heard of your sound so, is going so. again. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so there you go. Okay, so our next question is from uh, Laurie Schultz. How do you see the Canada-U.S. food import and export relationship unfold in the next few months, given that the U.S. is still a global hotspot? Uh, we're, we're poised to do very well. I mean, Canada has uh, some new uh, treaties. We have, obviously, uh, the... Uh, the new trade deal with the Americans and uh, Mexico uh, was ratified is going to be implemented in uh, in June as well so that's uh, that's that's actually quite promising to be honest so I actually do think that there's potential to do very well uh, as a country uh, moving forward um, other than that uh, yeah we have a bit of a trade deficit with the United States uh, will that continue well, it all depends uh, on us. The dollar is at 71 right now. Uh, it's, uh, I don't think it's going to get higher than that, so which is, which is a, good, a good sign, uh, which, which is actually going to help our exports uh, down the road. But overall, I mean, like I said, we have, we have to think about our agri-food sector very differently uh, or else I mean, at some point, uh, any other com other countries would. If we're, if we're competing on beef, well, there are lots of options out there, and you have to think differently about the products that you export. Okay, our next question is from David Hill. How can we make use of the COVID nineteen crisis to be prepared for and become a global re globally recognized provider of high quality, safe foods and nutrition? for our local slash domestic consumers, as well as globally? <laughs> uh, that's a very good question, which uh, I'm not sure we're, we're asking ourselves that often, because right now, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about local, local, local. But we tend to forget that we have the economies of scales in the, in Canada. It's it's all it, we're 37 million people in one of the largest countries in the world, and on top of that, we have a winter to deal with. Um, it's great to eat local, uh, but people like bananas, people like cocoa, people like vanilla, and they like 
coffee and I mean there's there's this reality that we need to keep we need to keep in mind um, so I'm very happy uh, with uh, with this question because I've always believed that in order to produce more food for ourselves we cannot only think about ourselves we have to think about external markets as well and start selling to external partners as well uh, because food prices are going to be a big issue if you decide to only produce for yourself and keep it as such food is going to become very expensive for three million people who just lost their jobs that's not sustainable you have to think about uh, providing uh, affordable food products to Canadians as you're branding yourself abroad selling good quality food to international markets okay um, the next question comes from David Major what is your opinion on wet markets and the close proximity of different species how can we pressure countries to shut these down Mm, I, I'm honestly not overly familiar with uh, wet markets, to be honest. Uh, uh, and frankly, I haven't kept up on, on that kind of information. It's a good question, but uh, right now I'm not, uh, I don't feel prepared enough to answer that question. I'm sorry, Alice. Okay. Our next question comes from Laurie Schultz. Could food processing plants uh, in an, in brackets, Cargill, JBS, and the provincial federal governments have taken more preventative and proactive measures to avoid what has occurred, or was this inevitable? Um, I, I think uh, food processing is the forgotten child. Uh, if you go to Canada, they don't think about processing, they think about farming. And if you go to innovation, uh, Canada, they'll not they'll not necessarily think about uh, about about food innovation and food processing. So that's why we're always they're always stuck in the middle. And uh, hopefully, COVID will change that because we've never talked as much about food processing uh, than now during this crisis. So, which is actually a good thing. And so, hopefully, uh, moving forward, instead of just looking at a food policy or food strategy for country for Canada because uh, that's the next step after the food policy which was presented last year if we can actually remind ourselves to make food processing the center point of, a, of that strategy then C19 may have not have been such a bad thing after all okay and Lori has a follow-up questions are uh, sufficient measures being taken now if they weren't before, uh, about about safety or yeah, her, yeah. Her initial question was: Could food processing plants like Cargill and JB have JBS have taken more preventative and proactive measures to avoid what has occurred? And so her follow-up question is: Are sufficient measures being taken now? Uh, I think they learn. Uh, the, the the thing about uh, GBS and Cargill is that they're 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 companies that have they've been very good at managing risks on the inside of facilities. Uh, COVID just caught them by surprise on the outside uh, with migrant workers living together, commuting together. Uh, Ali Mel in Quebec actually had the same problem, and uh, but it was a smart, a much smaller plant. Uh, they didn't have two thousand five hundred workers, and so. 
that really became a huge problem for uh, for Cargill and GBS, and uh, so I suspect they've learned from that. Okay, and we have a final question of uh, this morning or this afternoon, just about. Um, yes. Leona Jacobs, re-agricultural relief going to food processing and and to surpluses. Some such producers feel that the dollars actually never make it to the on-the-ground producers, i.e. the ranchers, etc. What are your thoughts? That's, that's, probably, tr that, that's probably true. And so, uh, again, it goes back to how to operationalize programs like this. And especially in a time of crisis, uh, it's, it's always difficult and to, to really make sure that these programs are effective and will actually reach the people who actually need the money. And uh, so, yeah, I honestly, my expectations were very low going into the crisis. And before I heard the agri-food plan, my expectations were extremely low for a government like, like, uh, like we have uh, a very urban-centric government. And so that's why I was pleased, but I, I, I'm not surprised when I wasn't surprised when I saw a lot of farmers disappointed because um, they were expecting a miracle and I wasn't. Okay, that's all our questions for today. Um, we want to thank you very much for joining us this, this hour from Halifax and um, once um, all this has finished all the COVID-19 restrictions have finished and you find yourself coming to Lethbridge again please do connect with us because we'd love to have you in person uh, speak in front of everybody uh, that would be wonderful uh, so thank you very much and I'm going to sign off now oh okay yeah no go ahead if you have something to say thank you very much for the invitation and I uh, would love to go to that uh that restaurant you have on a water tower there that I've never been to, but I, 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 I see it every time I go to Lethbridge. <laughs> Wonderful. We'll keep a seat booked for you there. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>